Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. And Eric, we already have our first upset of 2023. Yep, somehow you and I, the definition of washed podcasters... <laughs> somehow both made it to midnight and even beyond albeit just beyond to see in the new year how yeah, about I was, that i was about to say not much beyond in my case <laughs> and uh, sounds like i guess in your case too but yeah how about it two major upsets already in 2023 <laughs> i can't even imagine what a parlay of raskin awake at midnight and mulvaney awake at midnight would have paid uh for my part i'll, I'll note that i I just barely made it. I was watching the Georgia-Ohio State game in bed. Um, I'm not a college football follower, but I had a wagering interest in the outcome, so I was watching, and I definitely closed my eyes here and there for a couple of plays at a time in the fourth quarter, but I was wide awake at midnight watching the potential winning field goal go way wide, and by 12-10... The TV was off and I was down for the count. Uh, But uh, until then, you know, a good football game and a few bucks on the line were enough to keep me up uh, more or less. How about you? What's your excuse? Well, um, my friend Sarah Jean and I were invited by my neighbors to to go over to their place. They had uh, what I thought was an excellent idea for a um, for a party, which was just a, a sort of revolving nacho bar. Basically, okay. they just kept making nachos until people weren't eating nachos anymore, which is like my <laughs> idea of a party. Um, and it actually got, it was just a very small number of us. Uh, uh, by about 10.30, there were only, I think, eight to begin with, and there were only about five of us left uh, with about an hour and a half to go. Um, and then the, the, our host, unfortunately, started, <laughs> he started to be pretty tired, like a little after, like about 11.15, he goes, I'm going to have to sit down. And it was one of those, <laughs> one of those things that was just like, do you stay like he was fine mm-hmm. but you could tell he was struggling to stay awake himself and it's like do you we've made it this far do we just party around him if he falls asleep on the couch <laughs> i'm I mean, picturing weekend at bernie's basically a now. little a little bit but he just about rallied stay we stayed for midnight and then figured yeah he's like he's gonna fall asleep on the floor here so at this point so um and, and so that, then we left yeah i watched an episode of the office as one does okay and uh, and, then, and then fell asleep ourselves yeah but i was very impressed i was wondering i thought the great thing about going to a party next door is it's so much easier to just leave yes right and but didn't have to do that i was i was very impressed right and i i have to say it sounds like the host is both Kind of washed uh, himself, but also less washed than I, because once I declare I have to sit down, <laughs> that, that you know I'm at about T minus five minutes till it's all over. <laughs> yeah, no, he was. Yeah, I'm not sure he was entirely with us, but he uh, he hung on there. He gave it gave it the good old college try, and, and right. he just about made it. So. So yeah, I don't know what the the parlay would be, us making it to midnight and me still getting up in time to finish my prep. But uh, here we go. We, we pulled it. it off. Good way to so, start the year, I suppose. Exactly. Bob, we'll let the listeners be the judge of that, I suppose. <laughs> right. um, uh, but in this first episode of 2023, uh, we do have some news to catch up on. Uh, Eric will give me his top five mic drop pre-retirement fights. Uh, we'll play another round of the fight game. 
Uh, but for us, we swing straight into action as this Saturday, January 7th. Showtime kicks off the boxing year with a bang with a four-fight pay-per-view at the Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C. I used to work just around the corner from there, you know, and uh, it's the home of the Washington Wizards and the Capitals and was also the site of Mike Tyson's final fight against Kevin McBride. Uh, and I think that was the last time they actually had a, a, a boxing card there. But anyway, that card is, of course, headlined by Javante Davis taking on Hector Garcia in a lightweight bout. Uh, we'll run through the fights and make our pick shortly. Uh, but first, Eric, we should address the fact that there was a brief period last week when it appears that the main event at least might be in some jeopardy yeah on tuesday Javante davis was arrested and booked in broward county florida on a domestic battery charge according to the police report davis quote did actually and intentionally touch and strike vanessa poso the mother of davis's daughter quote against her will and quote did intentionally cause bodily harm to her Law enforcement authorities also said Javante struck her on the right side of her head with, quote, a closed hand type of slap, causing her to suffer a facial injury and an abrasion on the inside of her upper lip. Davis was released on Wednesday morning. In an Instagram post that he subsequently deleted, he vehemently denied any wrongdoing. And then it all took something of a turn on Friday mm. when, in an Instagram post of her own, Poso said that Davis, quote, did not harm me or our daughter that the 911 call she made was, quote, unnecessary, and that, quote, Gervonta and I were both at fault for the argument. That statement effectively gave everyone involved the green light to proceed with the card. Kieran, before we start breaking down the fight and the pay-per-view lineup, any thoughts on how this whole situation with Tank Davis played out? Well, I think, first of all, especially after the developments that you talked about on Friday, it's I think it's correct that the fight card is going ahead. Um, I think her statement is... The game changer here. Yeah. It, it turned what could well have been a difficult decision into something of a no-brainer. And look, I, I'm fully aware it's entirely possible that, um, plausible even, that she was encouraged to make that statement, induced to, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. It's also often the case in abusive relationships that an abused partner is what likely to blame themselves as much right. i mean that's just a common sort of occurrence i don't know if any of that's the case it's also entirely plausible that she absolutely meant what she said in the statement she regrets the police were involved would have and would prefer to work things out privately but um clearly something happened clearly there was a physical altercation of some of some sort um but i think you know this is different to say for example the raleigh romero situation in that a, this was a misdemeanor charge, while Romero was potentially facing serious felony charges. Um, and the other issue that resulted in the first scheduled date for Davis Romero um, being postponed was, you know, Romero's situation was playing out early in the promotion for his fight. There was no guarantee he'd even be available for that fight. Right. Um, so so it's different from, from all of that. We do continue to have a domestic violence a problem in boxing and in sport and in society at large that is still not being treated with enough seriousness. I, I recognize all of that, but you know, the responsibility of the people involved here, Showtime, PBC, others, is to judge each case on its merit. And in this situation, once she had, especially once she had released that statement, I don't think that even if they'd wanted to, anybody had any other choice other than to go ahead with the card. Um, I think the broader issue is that there are some issues with it would appear with how Javante is living his life. Right. Um, you know, in a, this isn't the first situation, uh, a sort of domestic assault case. And then there's the, the pending trial for the hit and run 
that he was allegedly involved in last year. It doesn't sound like he's got his life entirely under control, but when you think about everything involved, the nature of this particular incident uh, and the, that statement on Friday, I don't think there was any option here but to go ahead with the event. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I mean, look, I, I don't know what actually happened. Right. You know, was any part of her initial accusation untrue? Is any part of her follow-up statement untrue? I have opinions and hunches, as I'm sure everyone mm-hmm. does. But yeah, for official purposes, the recanting pretty well shuts down the case for scrapping the fight. Davis was arrested, and that's not nothing. But yeah. if she's now officially insisting no harm was done, there's really no reason to oppose the fight happening. You know, without that recanting, Stephen Espinoza and others would have been in a tough spot. I, I heard good cases last week on both sides. You know, the, mm. the show should go on, the show shouldn't go on. Yeah. But it's moot now. The show will go on. Javante Davis's troubles are not erased by any means. Uh, but this latest situation doesn't appear as if it'll have any immediate consequences. Indeed. All right, let's move on to the boxing. Um, The main event on this pay-per-view card is one that a year ago, I don't think anybody would have predicted. Or had it been mooted, there might have been some outrage. But then Hector Luis Garcia dominated Chris Colbert in February, followed it up with a points win over Roger Gutierrez in August. And so even though he is technically a tune-up for Tank Davis, who is slated to face Ryan Garcia in April, he is now, rightly, recognized as a very dangerous one. Eric, just how dangerous is he? Tell us about Hector Garcia, and do you think he could actually spring an upset here? I do think he could, uh, but as with everyone who fights Tank Davis, yeah. he has to be nearly perfect, nearly mistake-free, because one mistake is all it takes. Um, I'll, I'll get back to that. Let me, let me focus first on Garcia and, and what makes him good and possibly a threat here. He is, like Tank, a southpaw and a damn well-schooled southpaw at Mm -hmm. that. He prefers to box, but he definitely can slug. He's versatile, and he won't be intimidated by Javante, I don't think, or or awed by headlining a pay-per-view. So far in his two Showtime appearances against Colbert and Gutierrez, he's been remarkably calm and poised throughout each fight. He's really come from out of nowhere, and when he beat Colbert, we thought, "Eh, maybe Colbert overlooked Mm. him and was flat. When he beat Gutierrez, we realized, no, you know, maybe Colbert was just fine and Garcia Mm. was simply better. It looks to me like he is legit. He has good footwork. He goes to the body. He can fight inside or from distance. There is a catch, though. Garcia has looked great at 130 pounds. Yeah. This is a lightweight fight against a huge puncher who I think we can safely say Tank's best weight right now is lightweight. I kind of think that was a key factor in Tank's team viewing this as a safe tune-up type opponent, the size factor. Garcia is sort of like Leo Santa Cruz in that way. Mm. You know, he may have some success and he may be able to outbox and outland Tank, but Tank and his team, head trainer Calvin Ford, seems to me they have no doubt that they will catch him and hurt him eventually. Garcia, meanwhile, he he can pop a bit himself. He's 16-0 with 10 KOs and three no contests. Um, The 10 KOs out of 19 total fights, it's not a ton, but the guy can score knockdowns. He can hurt his opponents. But again, that was at 130 and below. Um, The southpaw factor here is interesting. Uh, Davis hasn't faced a fellow lefty in almost five years since he scored a KO3 over Jesus Cuellar. Garcia beat a switch hitter in Colbert last year, and he faced a true southpaw in his fight prior to that uh, against Isaac Avalar, whom he beat via wide eight-round decision. 
Notably, Garcia suffered the only knockdown of his career in that fight. Avalar dropped him in the first. It was a flash knockdown during an exchange, a southpaw right hook dropping him. For what it's worth, the right hand is not Javante Davis's power hand. Not that he can't hit pretty hard with the right hand, but he's really a left-hand puncher. His 27-0 record includes 25 KOs, a 92.6% KO rate, one of the best in the sport among championship-level fighters. And lately, it's been a lot of one-punch KOs with the left hand against Raleigh Romero, against mm. Santa Cruz, against Uriarcus Gamboa. Uh, and one last note, um, as dominant as Garcia was against Roger Gutierrez, there were moments when Gutierrez was landing clean. So what happens if Tank lands even half that clean? Mm. That's the big question here. Garcia has a lot going for him, but he needs to avoid a single glaring mistake. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's discuss the co-main on the pay-per-view. Uh, before Davis Garcia, we'll see the return of Jaron Ennis, the man whom many consider the heir, not just to the welterweight division, but to the top of the pound-for-pound pound list. He's 29-0 with 27 KOs, one of the few ranked fighters in the sport with a higher KO rate than Tank even. Um, but he's been running in place of late as he waits mm. and waits for a big opportunity. He fought just once in 2022, and that fight, uh, a knockout of Custio Clayton, lasted under two rounds. How important is it to you, Kieran, that Boots gets busier this year? And what can you tell us about his opponent on Saturday, Karen Chukadzon? Uh, let's take the second part first, and let's talk about Karan Chukadzon. He's Ukrainian, uh, although he now lives in Germany. He has been involved in the territorial defense of Kiev, um, and he will apparently be returning to do that after this fight. Um, he's 21-1. and one. He's on a 19-fight win streak, and he actually hasn't lost since the night he made his professional debut. Uh, as he turned pro in a one-night tournament that was a succession of three-rounders, and he won the first two but lost the third. Uh, thing is, though, he has really faced nobody of any consequence. The only recognizable name on his resume is Ali Funeka. Remember him, yeah, the former yeah. South African uh, world title challenger. But Funeka had lost three of his last six, and he was well past his best when Chukachin uh, outpointed him over eight rounds in 2017. But you know what? To a large extent, it almost doesn't matter at this point how experienced he is or how good his opposition has been to this point. Upsets can happen. Prospects, contenders, champions can all lose. But Ennis feels special. Mm -hmm. um, I would make him, and I know I'm pretty sure you would, the favorite against anybody at 147 pounds right now, except Crawford and Spence, and give him a little more time <laughs> and maybe a little bit of decay in the, in the older guys. Maybe we'd, we'd favor him over them too. But... You know, to get back to your first question, even though he's arguably ready for even that kind of a challenge now, I, I hate to see him just kicking his heels on the sidelines, not just for him, but for us. I want to see Jerron Ennis fight. Yeah. I want to see him a lot. I want to see him look good because the more he fights, the more highlight reel knockouts he probably scores, the more attention he's going to get. I want other people to see Jerron Ennis. I want other people to get a sense of potentially how good this young man could be. And the more attention he gets, the more money he's going to earn and the better able he's going to be to, to force his way into a position where Crawford or Spence are going to find it harder and harder to ignore him. Um, I would like to see him mixing it at that very top level soon. And the more he, but the more he keeps active and stays fresh and stays in rhythm, not only is he more likely to get those shots, but the better position he's going to be in to be successful when he does. So mm. 
January 7th is his first fight of the year. Let's at least hope that this means there's going to be at least one more fight than he had <laughs> in 2022, and, and hopefully many more. Right. Um, compared to Rashidi Ellis, though, Ellis has been the second coming of Henry Armstrong in terms of activity. <laughs> um, Ellis has fought just one round since October 2020, uh, not because of injury, but because because he was sitting out his contract with top rank before signing with PBC. He's undefeated, but at 29 years old, he clearly doesn't need to spend any more time on the sidelines. He faces Royman Villa, who recently hung the first L on the record of... Um, God, can you pronounce this fighter for me, Eric? <laughs> I, I'm having a... Okay, if I must. Uh, One I think more you're time. referring to... For all to, time's sake. To Nelson Figueroa Boca Chica. That's the man. Um, Eric, um... Ellis against Via feels like a very even fight to me. Uh, do you agree? And what can you tell us about these two? So it doesn't feel quite as even to me as oh, okay. I guess it does to you. Um, c- competitive, yes. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do see a clear favorite here, which I guess I have to give my pick away a little bit in order to answer your question. <laughs> um, it's Ellis who looks to me the greater talent. Um he hasn't faced the opposition required to prove it, but he seems mm. to have the tools, speed, power, explosiveness. Via, I don't quite see the same high ceiling. And as we've discussed, Boca Chica, great name, middling fighter. Um, yeah. A little background on these guys, uh, neither of whom are necessarily too familiar to Showtime audiences. Speedy Rashidi Ellis is 24-0 with 15 KOs. As you said, he's 29 and the clock is ticking. Uh, He's been a regular Canelo Alvarez sparring partner. Uh, He's from a fighting family, uh, just like Boots Ennis. Uh, The the Ellis's and the Ennis's uh, have have a bit in common. Uh, Ellis has an older brother, Ronald, who fought five times on Showtime. We know him well. Uh, And a younger sister, Rashida, who fought in the Olympics. He hasn't faced great opposition, but he's faced some good opposition, most notably Alexis Roca in 2020. Ellis beat him by decision after 12 rounds, and Roca then went on to beat Blair Cobbs. So, you know, meaningful win there for Ellis. Mm -hmm. As for Villa, he's the same age as Ellis, 29, a similar number of pro fights. He's 25-1 and with a huge 24 knockouts. Uh, Boca Chica is actually the only opponent he's beaten over the distance. That that was eight rounds. Um, Of his 24 KOs, 12 are KO1s. He's a bit small for a welterweight, having recently moved up from 140. He's also from a fighting family uh, in Venezuela. He has nine brothers, and they've all boxed, uh, two of them Oof. professionally. Uh, Via is undoubtedly dangerous. He can bang, but Ellis is by far the best opponent he's faced, whereas he's not necessarily the best mm. Ellis has faced. He may be. I'm not sure. It's a good competitive fight. But I wouldn't quite call it even, at least gotcha. based on what I've seen of each guy. Unless I'm just being blinded by the great rhyming Speedy Rashidi nickname, which is possible. <laughs> I've certainly been swayed by less in the past. Um, okay, last fight to mention on the pay-per-view card, a super middleweight action as Demetrius Andrade, who says he can no longer make middleweight, enters the ring for the first time since his knockout of Jason Quigley in November 2021 to take on Demond Nicholson at 168 pounds. Andrade is 31-0 with 19 knockouts. Nicholson is 26-4-1 with 22 stoppage wins. Andrade's had a curious career in that he has won belts at 154 and 160 pounds and has been dominant in almost all of his fights, but can be a frustrating boxer to watch. And at the age of 34, has yet to have anything that might be considered a defining fight. What's your take on Andrade, Kieran? Do you expect him to finally go to the next level? And what kind of challenge does Nicholson pose here? 
Uh, probably like most folks, I find Android a frustrating figure. Um, as I've mentioned before, I've enjoyed interviewing him. Mm. Uh, he's a charismatic dude. But the first two or three rounds of a fight, he's entertaining to watch. Um, but if his opponent makes it past those early rounds, he can become an acquired taste. Um, the skill is there, unquestionably. But in and out of the ring, it feels as if Android at times does just enough and no more. I think part of the problem with Andrade is that he talks such a big game, but doesn't necessarily back it up. Uh, he clearly wants a fight with either Golovkin or Canelo. Right. He wants that big payday. He seems reticent to take a step that might put that at risk. I genuinely believe that he genuinely believes he can win either of those. I'd certainly pick him over Golovkin now. Mm -hmm. But he's also made some odd career choices. He's turned down opportunities he could have had. And yes, the flip side is that he's undoubtedly been an avoided fighter himself. There's no question about that. But if you're a high-risk, low-reward kind of guy, you need to find a way to make that reward side of the ledger greater. And fighting nobodies or not fighting at all and looking, eh... When you when you do fight, that's not the way to do that. Um, do I think you'll change now? I kind of doubt it. Um, but there are some possibilities for him at 168. And if he's now on this side of the street promotionally, it might be easier for some of those opportunities to come to fruition. I, I don't think Nicholson will get in the way of that. Um, you mentioned his record. He's been in with some decent opposition, but he's generally lost when he has faced decent opposition. Um yeah. Steve Rolls outpointed him. Jesse Hart stopped him. The good news is he went the distance with Edgar Berlanga, who previously was 16-0 with 16 first-round knockouts. Right. But he was knocked down four times in that fight. Um, and in fact, he's been floored 11 times in his career in total, um, which suggests to me we might be in for a typical-ish sort of Andrade fight, you know, where Nicholson goes down early, but if he makes it out of those rounds, and you know what? I'll stop there. <laughs> let us yes. let us switch to official prediction mode. And Eric, you fluked your way to a highly disputed victory in last year's picks contest. Um, so even though that result is shrouded in controversy, um, you get to pick first. Uh, let's start with the bout we just talked about and that I started to pick apart there. Uh, Andrade versus Nicholson. Who's going to win and how? Uh, no, no offense, Kieran, but if anything is the fluke, it would seem it's that 2021 year where you won the picks competition when I so thoroughly dominated you in each of the other three years, including last year, which, uh, last year's you know, it lit decision it, controversy. No, no. See, it, it looked close on the scoreboard, but it wasn't really. It was one of those where it wasn't as close as the score suggested. I had it all the way. Anyway, that that's not important now. The slate is clean. First pick of the year. It's got to be Andrade. Um, yeah. I've been critical of him at times, but I've never questioned his skill or his talent. Yeah. And Nicholson, he's tough as nails, but he just isn't on the same plane as Andrade. He does have pop in his mitts, so I guess anything is possible. But this feels like a not-too-stressful welcome-to-showtime fight for Boo Boo. Yeah. I'll say 10-round unanimous decision for Andrade and a shutout wouldn't surprise me. There are exactly the two words, unanimous and shutout, that I've got down <laughs> here. Um, look, I already gave away how I would not be surprised if this bout starts. I, I can see Andrade coming out strong, wanting to make a statement. Um, here I am at 168, here I am on Showtime kind of a deal. Totally dominant in the early rounds. Quite possibly puts Nicholson down once or twice in those early rounds. But 
as you just noticed, Nicholson is tough. It's a lot harder to stop him than it is to drop him. Um, my guess is that he'll make it through any early rough rounds without ever really laying a glove on Andrade. Uh, I fully expect to see Andrade settling into his usual dominant, if unexciting display. And yes, I put very wide, quite possibly shut out unanimous decision. So I completely agree with you there. Um, as I've already indicated, I find LSV a, a more difficult pick, uh, if not quite as difficult, uh, or if more difficult than, than you're finding it. Um, it's a fascinating fight, potentially. Uh, two contenders that can go up a level, both skilled in different ways, uh, with entirely different styles of fights. Um, but yes, you talked about this. Ellis is the taller, rangier, faster, slicker, and probably more skilled guy, and the natural 147 pounder as well, which is yeah. important. You know, via moving up from 140, where, as you noted, he's been an absolute wrecking ball. Um, the question is, can can Ellis keep via at range, outbox him, outslick him for the full distance, or can via close the distance, put pressure on him, make him uncomfortable. I think at times the latter will happen. Uh, I can absolutely see Via getting close. Really, there are going to be some moments where Ellis is going to find himself in a bit of a fight here. Um, but I also kind of think that I wouldn't be surprised if when that happens, Ellis shows us that when he has to, he can dig his toes into the canvas and fight. And his hand speed will actually work very much to his advantage there. I am going to go with Ellis. I am going to go with Ellis by unanimous decision, but it's going to be a very different kind of unanimous decision in my mind to Andrade Nicholson. Ellis is going to have to fight at times in this fight. He is going to to try to keep Via at a distance. By and large, he's going to be able to do that, but Via is going to definitely have his moments, and Ellis is going to know he's been in a fight at the end of it. All right. Well, uh, you know who I'm picking here, uh, but you don't know the method of victory. You, you right. just know I, I see Ellis as the superior talent. And... Maybe this is a tiny bit of a limb to step out on, but I think he can knock Via out. Uh, mm. Although it would come more from speed and accuracy than pure power. Yeah. But uh, I see this as a competitive fight for a while. Via can be awkward. Ellis may have some rough moments as he tries to figure him out. But I suspect Via will fade and Ellis will be landing more and more and the punishment will add up. It's scheduled for 12. Gives me a little extra time to indeed mm -hmm. get that KO. I say Speedy Rashidi forces the stoppage in round 11. Okay. Next up, uh, Boots Ennis versus Karen Chukajin. And this one I don't see lasting into the 11th round or the 7th round, for that matter. Uh, Boots has never gone past six. And I don't see Chukajin stopping that streak. He's solid. But Salad isn't worth much against Boots Ennis. Yeah. I'm going with Boots KO4. Oh, crap. Okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we've uh, already disagreed slightly on one pick. That's I right. mean, a what do people expect? <laughs> yeah. Look, it, it's not uh, a difficult pick for me to pick Ennis by, by knockout. And that's not a knock on Chikachin or the folks who made the match, not even a little bit. I can, on the one hand, say that I want Jerron Ennis to be more active and then complain if not every opponent is on his level. And honestly, at this point, very few opponents are going to be on his on his, on his his level. That's yeah. just the way it is. I do fully expect Ennis to look excellent here and, and to make the most of the opportunity of being on a pay-per-view. I do believe he'll win by KO. And I put here, it's just a question of when he breaks through. I almost like put a pin in a chart here to figure out what what round it's going to be um but four feels about right to me that's what i put down here so screw it let's let's just start where we left off and basically pick the same things here uh i will also go ennis 
KO4. Um, And that brings us to the main event. And I have, you know, not too much difficulty picking a winner here either. Um, Hector Garcia is good. Um, possibly very good and certainly better, I think, than pretty much any of us imagined when he stepped into the ring against Chris Colbert, as you said. But Javante Davis is, is just better still. I, I, I'm, I am nonetheless having a little bit of a hard time picturing the fight, seeing how it plays out exactly. Um, is Garcia going to be able to do an Isak cruise here and, and kind of, you know, maybe withstand some early Davis pressure and come at him in the second part of the fight? Or is he with his, you know, strength and, and skill, is it going to make it difficult for Davis to figure him out early? Or is Davis just so much better that while never having it easy, he, he's somewhat dominant? Um, also, the other factor is, is Davis going to turn the controversy of the past week to his advantage? Is he going to come in with a chip on his shoulder and with something to, to, to prove? I suspect he might be a little bit. I think he's that kind of guy, Tank. Um, I do think this will be the kind of bout that shows that we have different levels in this sport. Uh, Garcia will perform well, incredibly, I think. He'll win some early rounds, I think, and he'll use his reach and height advantages to, to crack Tank from with some good combos from mid-range, but... Davis will get into his groove, and I think once he starts timing Garcia, it will start turning into a very difficult night for the challenger. Davis will have taken over by mid-rounds and ultimately become dominant before... I think he's going to stop him, probably like a referee or corner stoppage, but late in the fight. Um, Round 11. Well, uh, I'll I'll just uh, spare you the suspense. We do not have the exact same pick on this one, at least. So uh, some variation here. I I find this actually the most appealing and intriguing fight on the card. Um, Not so much in that I think there's a strong chance of an upset, but I just, like you, I'm not quite sure exactly what way it plays out and route Hmm. to Javante Davis ultimately emerging victorious. It can unfurl in so many different ways. I wouldn't be shocked if Tank came out and made a statement and caught yeah. Garcia early and and got like a KO2. You know, that that's certainly possible. I wouldn't be surprised if Garcia boxed beautifully and banked a lot of rounds and frustrated mm. Tank and Tank needed to do something dramatic in the latter third of the fight. In the end, my pick, I'm landing kind of in between those two. Garcia boxes well early while Tank isn't busy enough. Garcia builds maybe a little lead. Maybe he's up like four rounds to two at the midway point. Then Tank gets him to exchange and lands a perfect shot as Garcia is thinking offense and gets a little too confident, runs him into something. I'll go with that rear uppercut to do the main damage. Not a one-punch shot and he's out, but you know maybe one punch and Garcia goes down. He gets up, right. Davis blasts him down again, and it's over. I'll say KO7 for Tank Davis. Okay. Also entirely plausible. Yeah. We shall see. Um, we have a few news items to go over. Uh, Kazuto Ioka and Joshua Franco fought to a majority decision draw in a 115-pound unification bout in Japan on New Year's Eve. Or Jamel Charlo's 154-pound title defense against Tim Zhu is off, at least for now. After Charlo broke his left hand in sparring, uh, I've seen some suggestions that Zoo may keep his scheduled January 28th showtime date and instead face Tony Harrison. Uh, some showtime fights have been confirmed, however. Showbox returns on January 20th from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, with a triple header featuring six undefeated fighters. And Showtime Championship Boxing on February 11th will feature Ray Vargas against Oshaki Foster for a 130-pound belt. Uh, that fight will be at the Alamodome in San Antonio. Uh, and finally, boxing has sadly lost another prominent official, Judge Jerry Roth 
who judged 225 title fights over a 34-year career, died on Friday in Las Vegas, aged 81. Uh, Eric, anything you'd like to comment on there? Yeah, I'll start with condolences to the family and friends of Jerry Roth. Uh, he was a 2017 inductee in Canastota, judged countless major fights, uh, mostly in Nevada. And and here's a fun fact I learned from his Hall of Fame bio. He judged all three Holyfield bow fights. That's kind of oh. interesting. Um, and we all know about uh, deaths coming in threes. Um, I'm hoping that a Hall of Fame judge counts yes. along with two recent Hall yeah. of Fame rafts. That, that, that counts as a set of three, and maybe we can be done with this sort of news item for a while. Um, but speaking of judging, I didn't get to watch all of Ioka versus Franco. Uh, just some highlights. So I have no opinion on the judging or the decision, but the esteemed Al Bernstein tweeted that he scored at 116-112 for Franco. So mm. perhaps a bit of home cooking with that draw. I would imagine a rematch is possible. A uh, huge, huge bummer about Travel Charlo. Yeah. That sucks for him. It sucks for Showtime. It sucks for all boxing fans. But I would love to see Zoo Harrison instead. In the meantime, let's see if the boss man, Steven Espinoza, and the promoters can work some magic there and keep the date. Um, for what it's worth, you know, Zoo right now, he is a contender to Charlo's lineal 154-pound championship. He becomes the contender if he beats Tony Harrison. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Charlo Zoo would get that much bigger if he were to win that fight in the interim. Uh, Showbox on Bethlehem. It's not pronounced uh, Bethlehem. Ah, okay. uh, this is uh, very important from the locals. Uh, Bill Detloff has schooled me on this because he's from near there. It's the one of the E's and the H are basically silent. It's Bethlehem. Ah, uh, but okay. uh, so that's uh, that's January 20th. And I, I checked my personal calendar. I have nothing planned on that date as of yet. So. That may be a fun one for me to attend. It's about an hour's drive for me. Uh, so great chance to see hmm. BC and Barry and Raul and Gordon. Uh, the card looks good. Three fights, six undefeated fighters. Buddy McGirt trained Sean Hempill versus Ronnie Shields trained David Stevens is the main event. Uh, and one name on the undercard jumps out at me. There's a fighter from nearby Reading, Pennsylvania named Julian Gonzalez. And I oh. see that name, and I immediately flash back to the great 2001 fight between Julian Letterlow and Julio Gonzalez. Yeah. Now, yeah. Letterlow was also from Reading, so it seems to me there is a non-zero chance <laughs> that Julian Gonzalez's parents were boxing fans, followed local guy Letterlow, their last name was Gonzalez. Julian uh... Gonzalez was born in 2001. I'm telling you, there's a chance he was named after that fight. Uh, Gordon Hall, if you're listening, ask Julian Gonzalez about that in the fighter meetings, please. <laughs> if, if by chance I'm throwing this dart and it, and it, and it hits, that would be pretty cool. Um, uh, and last note, uh, Vargas versus Foster. Very good matchup. Ray Vargas is having quite the renaissance as a non-boring fighter. Uh, so uh, count me in for that one. I, I like that fight at the Alamo Dome. Yes. Yeah, me too. I feel like we commented on Vargas, was it, you know, after the, the Mark Maxayo fight right. that perhaps going into it, uh, I had probably grumbled and moaned about having been ringside for a few Ray Vargas fights and mm -hmm. having a lot of respect for his skill, but not necessarily him being a, a fighter you want to watch. But hey, maybe it's also, you know, part of that was, was Maxayo, but maybe it's also part of Vargas is getting on. And as mm -hmm. we've seen, 
um, with guys like Arislandi Lara and Guillermo Rigandao. As fighters get a little bit older, they just inevitably get sucked into slightly more exciting fights. So uh, maybe we'll see more of that. And I'm really happy to see Oshaki Foster get a shot as well, actually, who's uh, who's been a, a really popular uh, fighter fighting on small TV cards and, and hoping to get that that big fight. So honestly, it's it's I, I've been thinking about our uber boss, Steven Espinosa, over the holidays and thinking <laughs> right. about how much better my holiday season was than his, probably. <laughs> uh, my goodness. They would have been so excited, I'm sure, and feeling really good about the start to the new year, and quite rightly so. And then to have Charlo pull out and then briefly uh, have this this cloud over, uh, over Davis Garcia. Davis Garcia is still on. Hopefully they can indeed figure out something for January 28th. So. Yeah. And, oh. you know, you just uh, you tri- tripped a little something in my mind there, talking about mm-hmm. Vargas and fighters uh, getting a little more exciting as they get older. Wishful thinking here. Maybe Demetrius Andrade is about to enter the more exciting hey, maybe, phase right? of his career. Maybe. Maybe. Or we'll maybe see. I'm just saying that because he's fighting on Showtime now and I want to be optimistic. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. All right. Hey, talking of exciting contests, let's play the fight game. All we? right. Yes. Uh, that's all right. I've been waiting uh, all year for this. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you like me, like bring out all the terrible dad jokes. See you next year. Oh, this is the first <laughs> coffee I've had this year. Because I do it and it's endlessly entertaining to me every, every year. <laughs> uh, I don't usually do that as much, but I just kind of did. So I can't deny ever doing it. <laughs> all right. Um, Right. So for anybody who is listening for the first time, this is a segment that Eric and I added recently in which one of us thinks of a fight and offers the other five clues of increasing easiness to guess which fight it is. Um, I'm, as usual, I'm not entirely sure about the clues here, and it's possible that you could get it on pick two. By pick four, I think you'll probably get it, but we'll see. We'll okay. see how it goes. Right. The first, the first. You're giving me no chance on pick one, huh? No. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, pick, already it's a, it's a recent tradition, but I think it's safe to say the tradition is that the first clue is always so vague as to be essentially meaningless except yes. to provide context. Mm-hmm. And so it is here. Um, clue one. The result of this fight was a major upset. That's it? Wow. <laughs> we, we just get vaguer and vaguer with these first clues. All right. It was a major upset. You could take a stab in the dark. I could. I will. I, I'm going to uh, rack my brain for about 10 seconds here for an uh, I'll, I'll try to think of some upset of the year type of fights that were high profile enough to warrant inclusion okay. in the fight game. I will say, man, if I happen to nail this, uh, it would be me, amazing. I, I'm going to say uh, I ran Barkley KO3 Tommy Hearns. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Actually, no, okay. that isn't it. But no, okay. that's a good one. All right. um, so this this will help a bit. Uh, going in, the boxer who lost was widely considered pound for pound number one, or at worst number two in the world. Ooh, okay. Now I have an idea. Uh, I'll tell you the name springing right to mind, and I'm just trying to recall the order in which he suffered a couple of defeats, and whether the major upset was the first one, or whether okay. he had already lost and thus wouldn't... Anyway... I'm thinking about Donald Curry. Is it by chance Hunnigan over Curry? Yep, it is. You get it. Oh in my two. God, got it in two. Oh, I am the smartest man alive. 
That is fantastic. Uh, do you want to know what the rest of the clues were going yes, to be? Yes, please. Yes, please. Yes. Um, so number three, uh, the loser blamed his loss at least partly on his struggles to make weight. Um, he had been planning on moving up, but stayed for this one title defense before doing so. Okay. Um, number four, which is the one room I think you absolutely would have gotten it. It is still considered the biggest upset win by a British boxer in the United States. Yeah, and the the in the United States is key, just in case I yes. had any thoughts about Randy Turpin or anything. Right, like exactly. That. So yeah. Um, and then I was basically spelling it out with the final one. <laughs> um, having been unbeaten beforehand, the loser would go on to lose by knockout to Mike McCallum, uh, and the winner would end his career being battered by Marlon Starling, dropped six times in three rounds by Mark Breland, and rescued from Vinny Pazienza <laughs> by New Jersey Commissioner Larry Hazard. So, okay. Those, yeah, that's pretty specific uh, if yeah. you were familiar at all with the fighters. Uh, yeah, so yeah, uh, you can probably you can probably figure out that what I was trying to figure out in my mind is whether the McCallum loss came right. before or after Hunnigan and whether Curry was still a pound for pound top guy heading into Hunnigan. I, and I wasn't following boxing at the time, so I don't really remember okay. which was first. But um, all right, my year is off to a good start. It's oh, it's all downhill from start. here, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I doubt I'm getting another two again, but that that was like when you get a two in Wordle, kind of. Right. <laughs> that same feeling. Exactly. I still haven't gotten a one in Wordle. I've no, me neither. <laughs> you know, one time they did have, uh, I, I mostly just rotate, I have one starting, I can't believe we're having a Wordle discussion, so <laughs> I apologize to all the <laughs> listeners who think we're the biggest dorks they've ever heard, but I, I have settled into one starting word I use almost all the time, but I okay. used to have a rotation of a couple, and one of those was the Wordle word like three or four weeks ago, and I was kind mm. of va- slightly upset that I finally might have had a chance to get it uh. in one, but... Oh, well. Uh, okay. <laughs> Anybody still listening? Good. All right. Good. Great start to the year. This is fantastic. Um, let's, uh, let's end with the first top five challenge of 2023 uh, on our last episode recorded a week and a half ago. So I've had plenty of time to ponder this one. You assigned me the top five mic drop career endings, which I applauded on the spot as perfect phrasing to help me hone in on what okay. this should be. Before I dive in, I'll note that I found this an interesting one to compile. There are any number of directions someone could go with this in terms of what they prioritize and what best exemplifies a mic drop. And what I'm left with is a list that actually doesn't include several of the examples people probably think of oh, first. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, like even myself, two of, when you were giving me the assignment, three fights kind of passed through my mind in that first 30 seconds or so. Two of those three didn't make my top five. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, so I'll have some notable honorable mentions when I get to that part of the countdown. Uh, and I'll also have a separate quickie list at the end of worth a mention, but they don't quite fit the assignment but I'm sure they nevertheless crossed some people's minds. Um, So, okay, enough preamble. On to the countdown. And my choice for number five, and and honestly, it falls off for me a little bit after the top four, in that I think think those are each true mic drops and everything else is kind of borderline. So at number five, this was the conclusion of a memorable, magnificent Hall of Fame three-fight career-ending mic drop, but this final fight on its own wasn't a total mic drop. I'm going way back. Mm. My number five is Gene Tunney. Um, And like I said, it's borderline because the final fight, it was a heavyweight title defense, 
It was against the non-iconic Tom Heaney. A mm. KO 11 win for Tunney, and then he retired as champ. That was right on the heels of two wins over the iconic Jack Dempsey, ending mm. his reign and then beating him again in the famous long count fight. So those three together, a hell of a mic drop. Uh, certainly Gene Tunney went out on top and on his terms. Was it a total mic drop finish? Not quite, but I have holes to poke in all but three or four of these. So this is my number five. Okay. Okay. Yeah, um, I can already tell that you've put a lot more thought into this than I have. <laughs> well, that you know, I was given the assignment. That's true. I would hope That's that true. I put uh, more thought into it than you did. <laughs> but, but we'll see. I didn't. I didn't even think about that. So yes. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, now next up, this is very nearly a perfect mic drop, and I wouldn't be shocked if some people had this at number one or very close to it. But I think it's a mic drop with just enough controversy for me to have it a little lower on my list. It's Andre Ward. Yeah who finished his career with a KO8 over Sergei Kovalev, who had never been stopped before, who had never even been defeated, except when Ward beat him by controversial decision the prior year. This was a huge win against an outstanding fighter. It got Ward to the pound-for-pound pound number one spot for most people. And then he retired on top, undefeated, having completed an exemplary career in which he made a lot of money, he never lost, and he never took a real pounding. But... Yeah, I can't ignore how many low blows he landed down the stretch to force the stoppage. It's both a great knockout and a dirty knockout at the same time. How intentional were any of the low punches? I can't say. But a bunch went low, and that definitely played a role in taking Kovalev out. Greatest semi-dirty mic drop ever. <laughs> I'll, I'll crown it as that, but overall, Ward gets my number four spot. Yeah, I mean, it's on my list. I didn't really rank them. I just came okay. up with a, a, the list. But in my head, I had the exact same thing. Like, in many ways, it was perfect. And I think what really adds to the sort of mic droppiness of it is that no one expected him to then walk away, right? right. There was all this talk about, was he going to sign this new contract? Who was he going to fight next? You know, and the, the young guns at 175 who were coming up. And instead, he just looked around, saw his options, and just decided to be done with that and caught everybody by surprise, did everything completely on his own terms. Um, and in terms of the fight, absolutely. He ended up dominating Kovalev in a, in a way that, that nobody had done. But yes, I also had in my head that tiny little asterisk of, right. you know, I, I don't know how intentional they were. Andre could 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 fight dirty when he wanted to. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, ever so, without that, I think it could probably be number one without yeah. much problem. It but could. yeah, no, I hear you on that one. Yeah. If I, if I put it at number one, Kathy Duva would never speak to me again. So <laughs> <laughs> number four it is. Um, next up, another guy who retired undefeated. He did have one draw, but no losses. And he was still elite right to the end. The greatest strawweight champion of all time, Ricardo Finito Lopez. And the way he said Finito on his career was par for the course with him uh, at Madison Square Garden on the Hopkins Trinidad undercard. Uh, he took on a very good fellow title holder, Zolani Patello of South Africa, and dominated him and stopped him in the eighth round. He waited about 14 months to announce his retirement, uh, but it counts as a mic drop. Uh, and, and by the way, it was uh, referee Arthur McCanny Sr.'s mic drop as well. He retired after this fight. Uh, and, oh, I didn't know that. And if memory serves, he had announced going in that this would be his last fight. For Lopez, we didn't know in the moment that he was calling it a career, but it was a perfect way to go out with a good and dominant win before he'd ever taken significant punishment in a fight. That's good enough for number three for me. Yeah, no, he was definitely on my list too. I actually didn't know that about uh, about Arthur McCann yep. Senior. 
Wow, what a long career he had. Holy moly. Yeah, I believe he was like 81 maybe at the time of this fight. Something like that. Wow, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. and what a career yeah. also that Finito had. Just absolutely yeah. incredible and uh, classy all the way through it as well. And uh, yeah, he's one of those who's walked away and as far as I'm aware, never showed any inclination to come back at all. Um, yeah, terrific. Yeah, excellent choice. Okay. Uh, number two, I'm sticking with the little guys. And okay. same era as Lopez. Not as great a fighter as Lopez, but a more memorable win. And unlike Lopez, Patello, an upset win. This is a fight that's found its way into one or two of my top five lists already in the past. Mm. Um, it's aging Michael Carbajal's yeah. 11th round stoppage win over young Jorge Arce. One of the absolute most perfect ways ever to yep. end a career. And I got the sense, uh, and I could be wrong about this. This is just me making assumptions. But... I got the sense that Carbajal didn't go into the fight expecting to retire, but when he won the way he did, after a little reflection, he realized it was the perfect way to go out and he didn't want to tarnish it. Uh, for anyone listening who is less familiar with Carbajal, he was a U.S. Olympic silver medalist in 88. His prime was in the early to mid-90s. He lost twice in 1997, seemed to be on the way out. This was 1999. They picked him to be the big name on Arce's mm -hmm. record. The scores through 10 rounds were 98-91 Arce on all cards, and Carbajal scored a flash knockdown in the sixth. So he'd lost every other round besides that one. It was not a competitive fight. And then from out of nowhere, Carbajal caught him in the 11th and dropped him and got the stoppage. And I think he took the right lesson from the fight, which was mm -hmm. that he was basically used up, but he pulled out this one miracle. I better get out now because that lightning ain't striking twice. Uh, so he did a hell of a mic drop. Absolutely. And like I said, even though I didn't rank my list in my head, I'm curious to see what your number one is, because in my head, I was like this, this and one other fight. And I'm very mm -hmm. curious to know if the one other fight I was thinking about is your number one um, was was would have been vying for number one in my list because this was just so perfect like you said in so yeah. many ways um uh, just a terrific comeback performance so i'm now very keen to see what you have at number one and see if yeah, it was the other fight that i was thinking I'm, about. i'm suspecting it probably is um because I, I kind of figured that our lists and most people's lists would look kind of different mm. but that when we got to number one i came mm. in thinking that there was a pretty good chance we'd have the same number one uh it's Carl Frotch. Is that yeah. what you were thinking? Okay, it is. Yeah. It so is. Frotch in the rematch against George Groves. Other than the fact that Groves wasn't an all-time great, this has everything you could want in a mic yep. drop. Their first fight was controversial. Frotch won via premature stoppage. So he had something to clear up here. And boy, did he ever. A vicious knockout in the eighth round. It was the knockout of the year in 2014. Couldn't have been more emphatic. And famously did so in front of 80,000 at Wembley. Um, <laughs> and he was 36 years old. His prime was probably right about to end. And he stepped away at the perfect time. Really everything you could ask for in terms of a way to end your career on a high note. Yep, agreed. Exactly. And and I think that whole setting that you talked about um, really added added to everything. It couldn't have been on a on a be bigger or better stage. And and especially going into it, there'd been some controversy over the stoppage the first time they'd met. And for him to just end it so absolutely emphatically. And I think he was he behind on the cards as well before the knockout. I, I can't remember. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't recall it. I don't have. Uh, the he might have been in the first fight. Yeah, I don't but... remember. But. Either way, and oh my God, what a punch, what a finish. Uh, yeah, just 
very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. That yeah. even though I hadn't quite decided what was one and what was two, those were the two that somewhat separated themselves in my head. Yeah. So interesting. Okay. All right. So I have four honorable mentions um, that I want to run through quickly. And I should note plenty of fighters over the years have retired as title right. holders. Countless fighters have gone out on a win. But these four stood out a bit over, say, an Edder Joffrey or a, or a KSI Galaxy. Um, right. So here's a guy people might have expected to see on my list. He was one of the names that crossed through my mind immediately, Joe Calzaghe. Um, mm-hmm. He went out on top, undefeated, but was it a mic drop? He won a wide decision over kind of washy Roy Jones in a fight where he was a massive favorite to win, and he got, got dropped hard early. It's a huge name that he ended his career with, and and Calzaghe picked yeah. the perfect time to retire, but it's not quite a mic drop for me. Um, a similar one that people might have expected to see on the list is Rocky Marciano. Like Calzaghe, retired undefeated. Like Calzaghe, got dropped early in his final fight. Better than Calzaghe, he came back to get the emphatic knockout win. But like Kazagi, his KO9 win over Archie Moore was expected. He he was the favorite. I can see this cracking people's top fives, yep. but uh, but I have it just outside that circle. Um, similar consideration could be given to Carlos Monzon, who finished his career with two straight wins over Rodrigo Valdez. Both of them close in the second one. Monzon got off the canvas early. That seems to be a trend here with these. Um, excellent win. Excellent time to retire. Finishes a little outside my top five. And lastly... Vitaly Klitschko, he ended his career with 13 straight wins over the course of a decade, but the finale was KO for Mahmoud Char. Meh. Uh, so n- not quite cutting it. Um, so before I get into my separate category of sort of not quite qualifying, but worth mentioning, uh, any- anything to comment on any of those? No, no, I had them. The one other one that <clears throat> I wonder how, how you felt about, uh, you mentioned Vitaly Klitschko. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Lennox Lewis? Um, given that he finished with Klitschko, it was a hell of a fight and he was damn nearly beaten during it. Um, but especially with what Vitali went on and did afterwards, it was a pretty damn good fight to finish with. And that was the one other one that I sort of had on the outside of my top five that you haven't mentioned. Okay. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up because it's, it's okay. part, it's part of this next discussion here. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I have this separate category for fighters who, aren't honorable mentions for me for various reasons, but are worth a mention. Um, And and some don't qualify, but are worth mentioning, but they don't qualify because they lost their final fights. I just want to give them a mention, like Marvin Hagler went out on his terms, Mm -hmm. arguably should have won against Leonard, but he didn't. Uh, George Foreman, similar. They gave Shannon Briggs the decision, and he walked away. I got to mention Marcos Maidana, who went out on some huge moral victories against Floyd Mayweather. Um, And Mayweather also warrants a mention, uh, although he still can't quite walk away. And that smudges the picture a bit. But his last official pro fight against Conor McGregor, the result was pretty meaningless. But it was the second biggest pay-per-view in history. That's got to be worth something. It it was a money mic drop, I suppose. Um, And so lastly, I want to bring up uh, the guy that that you mentioned there. How could I not bring him up? He retired at the perfect time with a win. But he did the literal opposite of a mic drop. Uh, Lennox Lewis, uh, who struggled more than expected against Vitaly in what would be his final fight, but did get the win. But then you'll recall 
he battled with Larry Merchant for the microphone and wouldn't let it go. That was the opposite of a mic drop. How could I possibly put it in my top five? He never dropped the mic. And he lost out. Larry undefeated over a long career. <laughs> yes. Of battling with fighters post-fight. Yeah. That was a good struggle, though. I al- there was, it almost seemed like Lennox was going to lift Larry and the microphone up <laughs> off the ground at one point. Yeah, excellent. I like that. Okay. Uh, all right. That will do it for this week's uh, edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Thanks so much for joining us. We will be back next week where we will be recapping the Showtime pay-per-view from Washington, D.C., headlined by Javante Davis against Hector Luis Garcia. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. <laughs>